Hey, Women Crush Wednesdays listeners, this is Katie Chambers from Nywift back with a special bonus episode for you. As we wrap up our Sundance Film Festival 2022 coverage, we're excited to bring you some audio clips from our January 26th Nywift Talks conversation with several of our Nywift members with projects at the festival this year. NIWIF program manager Barbara Vasconez leads an exciting conversation with several filmmakers with a diverse range of projects from comedic short films from the 40th anniversary shorts program to an important documentary about the Black maternal health crisis in the United States. It's a really interesting look at the wide range of work being produced by our members, as well as the pros and cons of this wild virtual festival landscape we find ourselves in still in 2022 during the COVID-19 crisis. So listen in to this half-hour conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, First of all, huge congratulations to all of you. I know how hard you have all worked, and it just shows with all the films that I got to see. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I just want to have each of you introduce yourselves and the name of your film at Sundance. Let's start with Dawn. Um, I'm Dawn Porter. I am uh, very proud to be an executive producer on Aftershock, uh, which is directed by the two women here, Tanya Lewis-Lee um, and Paula Iselt. Thank you. Lois. Hi, I'm Lois Fossen, and I'm very proud to be the executive producer of Free Chol Su Lee, which is in the documentary competition. Um, and I'm representing our great filmmaking team, Julie Ha and Eugene Yi, our co-directors, and Sue Kim and Jean Chen, our producers. Thank you. Paula. Hi, I'm Paula Eiselt, um, one of the directors and producers of Aftershock. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Elaine. Hi, I'm Elaine Del Valle. I am representing the film Chili and Billy, directed by William David Caballero. And I used to be an intern at NIWIF, so I am especially happy to be here today. We love our NIWIF interns. <laughs> Madeline. Hi, my name is Madeline Olnick. Um, I'm the director of the short film Hold Up, which is actually one of the anniversary shorts. So it actually first showed at Sundance 16 years ago. So I probably had the least stressful Sundance of anyone here. Um, And I'm representing um, Nancy Giles, who hosts the NYWIP awards. You were saying, okay. Um, she, She stars in it and Cindy Kaplan and Dennis Davis and also Jen Heck who uh, came up with the original idea. Wonderful. And Tanya. Hi, I'm, I'm Tanya Lewisley, and I'm uh, also a co-director, along with Paula, co-director, co-producer of uh, Aftershock, and, and Dawn is our executive producer. Thank you, everyone, for being here. I'm very excited. Uh, let's start with the, the Aftershock team. Uh, what inspired you to tell the story? whoever wants to start. I know we only have a half hour. Um, so it's the so abbreviated quick. version. Pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so um, 
I, I was tapped into maternal health uh, due to my own experiences having my children. Um, I also made a film called 93 Queen about health inequity um, in the Hasidic community. So um, it's something that, again, I was tapped into and especially using character driven films um, to create impact. Um, but in 2017, I started reading a slew of articles that came out um, that exposed the U.S. maternal health crisis, and I realized that we were in an actual crisis and that what I may have experienced on an individual level um, was affecting Black women most profoundly and at huge numbers, and I really wanted to, you know, use my skill set to help shed light on this crisis and lift up the stories um, from the very beginning. I wanted a partner um, grounded in the community to help tell the story. Um, it's also like a huge scope of a project. So two creative minds is better than one. And um, so I, I pitched the project to Concordia Studio, became a fellow, got some development money. Um, Dawn came on at, at that stage. And um, very early on, in one of our earliest shoots, I literally bumped into Tanya um, was so thrilled to meet her. She's, you know, an established, amazing producer and also happens to be um, a women's health activist. So it's like, you can't get better than that. And it was really like the perfect match. And here we are two years later at Sundance. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I can just quickly add uh, from, from my perspective, um, you know, um, I, in 2007, I became a spokesperson for an infant more or infant mortality awareness raising campaign here in the United States that came out of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, which allowed me to travel the country and find myself immersed in the women's health world, uh, specifically focusing on the disparities in uh, outcomes for Black women versus white women in this country. And of course, as I was on that path, was hearing about from individual women about women they knew who were passing away from childbirth complications. Um, flash forward, I worked, did, was distracted, did other projects. Uh, 2017, 2018, knew I needed to make this film. And like Paula was really looking for a partner uh, because of the large scope of the film um, uh, to tell this story um, with. So uh, just really coming from a place of uh, true commitment to trying to improve the outcomes for Black women specifically in this country, but ultimately all women. That's great. That's great to hear. Um, Let's go with Lois. What in, what 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 drew you to support this film? Um, well, kudos to our filmmaking team who have been working on the project for a long time. Um, Eugene, it's a, his first feature that he's directed. He has a long history of editing and working in film. And Julie had never made a film before either. She uh, has a very strong journalism background. And they uncovered this story and obviously became sort of transfixed by the life of Chosu Lee. And more importantly, the important historical um, resonance of his story and the systemic racism that it represented. And I think that their passion for wanting to bring that story forward so that we as a culture would look at it in a new way, obviously with the events that have unfolded in the last few years following the murder of George Floyd, um, the spotlight on stories about systemic racism have increased, um, but they were working on the film long before that. 
because oftentimes these stories in the Asian American community aren't given their due. And I think with the rise of xenophobia and certainly with the former president's attack on Chinese and Chinese Americans, we felt the time was really right for this story to come forward. So we funded it several years ago, um, but it really was this idea that we needed to look at the marginalization of Asian Americans and uh, the racism that they feel. And we have seen lots of stories about movements, but we haven't actually seen any other film that really digs deep into the Asian American movement that Free Cho Su Lee uh, talks about. So I think that's what we were very passionate about. We wanted to demonstrate that this community has a long history of fighting for their civil rights. Agreed. I, and I think it comes in with perfect timing and the film, if the documentary, if you haven't had a chance to see it, watch it. Um, blew me away. Uh, Elaine, same question. What? Uh, how'd you get involved with Chili and Millie? Sure. So I have actually been working with William David Caballero, our director, for many years now. I am a director myself, as well as a producer and, and a Latina. And it was very important for me to reach out to other Latinos in the community who were making films to make sure that we could um, just work together. And so William and I had a, a film at Sundance in 2017. Prior to that, we made a web series together that I licensed to the HBO network. So we have a long history of working with one another. And um, yeah, and I'm just really glad to be working with him again on this and, and other projects. So we work together as well as independently on, on other projects. Well, that's great to hear. Well, I, I, I can't wait to see other projects too. Uh, and Madeline, uh, you are an anniversary short. Explain to us what is this anniversary short and how, um, like, what drew you to tell the story of trying to rob someone, but also not rob someone, ex-girlfriend? Well, um, the, the anniversary shorts, it's the 40th anniversary of Sundance. So they are, um, they, they picked a handful of shorts from over the years um, that they wanted to show again. And I was, I was lucky to have my short picked. Um, this short had uh, been a, an assignment when I was studying was the very first thing that I made. Um, and when I was in theater, it was very hard to find the right place to tell queer stories. And I soon found out that uh, one of the things I remember reading when I was, I was having all this trouble, I was putting my plays on in downtown New York City venues. And there was an article in the New York Times Magazine where someone said, wow, I can't even believe my movie got into Sundance. It didn't have a lesbian in it. And I was like, oh, like maybe there's maybe another format would be better for queer stories um, because theater was so institutionalized. It, it, they really thought of like their subscriber audiences and the you know, blue haired ladies, they would call them. And wouldn't at that time uh, put on store put on these kinds of stories at a high, like at a higher level theater. So basically, the the plays that I put on, and then the films that I've made, have been queer comedies because for me, it's very humor is medicinal, 
Um, and it's very important um, that you have comedy. For me, it's funny because everyone on this panel, like I love watching documentaries. Um, that's that's my favorite form to watch um, because I find it so meaningful and it creates change. But all I make are queer comedies <laughs> because I think also, you know, comedy is important for people to because because it gives people some sustenance. So I was lucky that 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 I could work with those actresses because they were improvisers and we didn't have we didn't have a location. We didn't have we just had three crew members um, and. We had to, we shot in a convenience store and anytime anyone came in to buy something, we just had to pause. Like it was open for customers. So anyway, so it's a robbery story. (laughs) With Nancy Giles, who I love and adore. She's fabulous. Um, Real guerrilla filmmaking. Yes. yes. (laughs) I said real guerrilla filmmaking from Yes. Yes. It definitely looks, if you watch watch it, it's only seven minutes and it definitely looks like a dog. So <laughs> feel comfortable watching it. I asked, did you so. say documentary is your favorite form or your favorite porn? No, 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 form. I'm sorry. <laughs> porn, porn. I like with a good narrative where it's. No, I'm kidding. I don't watch porn. I don't. Anyway. Oh my god, the conversation's shifting. <laughs> to what? What do we do after we film? Madeline, <laughs> um, you don't have to hide here. Like we, we welcome all like expressions of the form absolutely there's no shame here will we do what we have to do as filmmakers <laughs> as producers everything and storytellers and that's the way that we do it no matter how um so i i want to get back to the aftershock team i know we have very little time but i i do want to just talk about um how did you find all of these activists um what was was any like any challenges in facing that how did you get a hold of them it was really wonderful because um you know after shamani gibson passed away her her mother and her partner were putting on um sort of a memorial service for her if you will but really it was more than that and she called it aftershock uh, and they, she put it out on Instagram as sort of a call to action. Uh, and because she wanted Shimani's death to be the igniting force for something to happen. And um, we found the story. We found her there and uh, found her call, answered her call. And she, they wanted the story told. Uh, and then Omari, uh, who is Shimani's surviving partner, when uh, Amber Rose Isaac, so Shimani died in December, 2019. Amber passed away in uh, April, 2020. And when she passed away, Amari reached out to Bruce McIntyre, her surviving partner. And so through Amari, we got to meet uh, Bruce, but Bruce also had a press conference very shortly after Amber passed away. Um, And Amber also had tweeted about the treatment she was receiving uh, that got a lot of attention. So these families really put it out into the world uh, and we just got on and amplified what they were, what they were already, what they were already doing. You know, I want to comment on that though, because uh, Tanya and, and Paula are very modest, but I will tell you as, you know, a person who wasn't directing this film, who was executive producing, you know, one of the things I think you can say to the audience is how they treated their subjects and approached them was really a model 
for how you ethically behave in documentary. It was not showing up with a camera in their face, not you know, sticking a release in front of them. It was actually spending quite a bit of time getting to know them, respectfully approaching and giving a sense of the story that these two women wanted to, to share and amplify, but also really listening to what their subjects wanted to achieve from participating. So I, I just am so, um, I just really hold that up as a model for, I think we need to have a lot of conversations about ethical practices in documentary and whether it's extractive or we're actually figuring out a way, you know, cause we, we try not to pay our subjects. There's a whole conversation about that, but um, you know, it's not always easy to figure out how much you want to involve your subject. Um, and I, I think that Tanya and Paula living with people dealing with the worst thing that's ever happened to them really forged, you know, a path that, that they can be proud of and that, you know, we can look to as a model. I really appreciate you bringing that up, Don, because it is such a critical question right now. And I think there are conversations underway and will be many more. In the case of Fri Cho Su Lee, the example that I would point to is our brilliant producer, Sue Kim, had the idea that to voice, uh, I'm not giving anything away, Free Cho Su Lee is, I mean, Cho Su Lee is no longer alive, um, but she had the great idea to have Sebastian Yoon, who was also formerly incarcerated, narrate the film. And he is a surrogate voice for Cho Su Lee. And he brought his world of experience to it because we felt it was so important to have that authentic voice and to have the story really resonate from somebody who has experienced incarceration um, in our country and, and obviously the systemic racism that caused that to happen in those instances. So I think that's a really, really important thing that we hold on to and that is clear also in Aftershock. Yeah, I, you know, just not to, to dominate too much, but this year I was on the, the World um, Documentary Jury and I think if, if you've been following the coverage of Sundance, there are real questions about who's privileged to tell which stories um, and about which, you know, if you don't have, if you don't share a background or a culture, um, how do you overcome that? It's not that you have to have an exact match with your subjects, but you have to be cognizant of the fact that you might be missing something. And, and I think that I definitely saw that in the in the world jury, we saw that the films were that were more successful really paid attention to those cultural competencies. And, and I think Paula and, and Tanya coming together is an example of that. Tanya does really have a lot of experience with maternal mortality issues, specifically in the African-American community. And then, you know, Paula is a very deep researcher. She's not, you know, she, she comes from a place, Paula will read every word about everything that you know has to do with the subject and and I think you know Tanya's a strong researcher too but so but the two of them were a really good pair they were really good and they're very honest with each other so if people are thinking about being directing pairs it's really great to mat, to work with somebody who complements your skills you know so you're not you're not you're both bringing something something that you can really own to the table and I I just I love the the partnership that these women um, you know, created together. And I, I just wanted to point that out. And also I love Chol Soli. Yeah. Uh, and it also was a partnership again, Julie and, and Eugene, I think exactly what you just said, Don. Yeah, I, I agree with everyone. Um, 
And also it is important to start talking about when shooting documentary about sensitivity issues and, and being able to um, speak to the subjects and because now it's triggering, especially tough subjects like this. Um, even there were moments in aftershock that I, I knew must've been really hard to talk about. And even when they were receiving like those beautiful paintings, you know, that's a memory. That's a really strong memory that you, you forget about. It's I'll say one thing on this, you know, um, so at, within this conversation, you know, Tanya and I really worked in collaboration um, with our subject collaborators. That's what we call them, subject collaborators. Like we're all on group texts where we, we talk up like they're really a part of the process. Like we are launching this film together as a unit um, and, and they're really very involved in, in, in all most of the steps of this process. Um, and the silver lining of COVID was um, when we, for those, you know, first months where it was pure lockdown and nobody can shoot anything, we did provide um, our collaborators with iPhones. And that was just a great, that turned out to be such a great tool for them to use. Like uh, they were able to direct their own shoots and we share the filmmaking process with them. We would send clips back and forth, set up interviews together, and it was a true collaboration. So I think like with all the craziness of COVID, that was something um, really nice that came out of it. I also just want to add, though, I mean, we also had hard conversations. I mean, I think I think that has to be clear. Um, you know, Shawnee is a very strong personality. She says what she thinks and feels. I'm a very strong personality. Paula is strong personality. Like there are no shrinking violets in this. And you know, we come we come to the work from very different perspectives. And so there, you're going to bump up against each other. There are going to be things that are said that maybe something isn't as sensitive as maybe one thinks it should be. But we had an environment in which we could have those conversations. And it, and it wasn't like, you know, um, you know, people were open. And, and free. And I think that sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone, not be afraid to have the conversation. Uh, and I think we're all better. We're all better for it. And I think the work is better for it. Well, and I would just be remiss if, if I didn't mention in this same spirit, Jean Chan, who many of us know is just a pioneer and, you know, in our industry. And she was one of our producers and co-editors. And what you just said, Tanya, about collaboration, I think it brought forward in both of our films the very best because there were no shrinking violets, but a lot of really strong people who felt they could be honest and really collaborate. Yeah, I agree. Um, Elaine, I mean, your your film as well, it's a, it's, it was shot, it was shot differently. It was in claymation. Um, telling that story even even with the family having to face the reality of of the fate um what inspired you to what inspired the director more so of shoot going in this format well the um the initial documentary it was a it was initially a a full-length feature documentary that the director did when he was at nyu finishing his uh, graduate degree and it was his senior thesis film and it told an entire story of his whole family. And, and William grew up with a dad who dealt with um, kidney failure his entire life. And so um, earlier this year, or I should say late last year, William's father actually passed away. And even though William grew up always feeling like his father was going to die any minute now, 
um, he lived this long for William. And so we had, we had always been extracting from, from real life, from like real documentaries and all of our, in, in all of our work together. And so this was just a story that he felt he was ready to tell. And while it is about his father and, and dealing with the, with the, with the disease that his dad, dad, that his dad had the kidney failure, it's also about his mother and her ability to, um, move forward in the end because for most of her life she was actually trapped by the system in that his medical needs would be taken care of by medicaid only if she didn't work so the the system kind of trapped them into this generational poverty of welfare and food stamps because they couldn't make over a certain amount and be allowed to had the treatment that he needed to stay alive. So, um, so this is a very new reality that his mother was entering into, not having to be a caretaker, and and that William was entering into, and it was really honoring his father and the the challenges that they all faced as a family. And I think that also people will come away with the hope that um, that lives in William and the and the future of the family. So, so telling it in this way. I mean, never mind the documentary, but William also is very synonymous for uh, using small things to tell big stories. And so we've dealt a lot. It's not actually not claymation. So they're hand-built models. And, um, and in this particular uh, film, William used um, something new where, where we were doing uh, virtual reality with the suit on and everything. To, to make those characters come to life. So there was animation, the, the suit on, as well as the documentary, and then just really just live action filming of the custom models that we built. And we just feel like it's such a visually mesmerizing uh, film that it very easily disarms an audience and allows them to, um, to feel fully without you know, just any barriers. Um, well, I, I loved it. I did not realize it was actual models, um, which makes it even better. Um, I, I truly, I, I felt like I was living through that story. And we can all agree that the health system here in the United States has failed all of us. Um, so we, we have to start wrapping up, but I want to get for our NIWIF members who are also on their own journeys of making movies, of going into Sundance, of telling stories, everything. Um, what is some advice you would love to give um, our NIWIF members today? We'll start with Madeline. Well, I would say make your, um, make your obstacles into the basis of what you do whatever your limitations are, use your limitations to your benefit. It's, uh, it's, I, I was keeping my, my statement short, but I mean, so <laughs> if you're like, if you don't have a location, if you don't have a crew, if you don't build something, um, I remembered when it, when that year John Cooper had said that Sundance is more interested in a movie that's um, not perfect, but has feeling and something perfectly made and beautiful that's that's empty. So don't forget, we get sometimes get lost in filmmaking and it becomes about, especially for narrative filmmakers, becomes about the look, it becomes about 
the polish and those things, and you forget you're you're trying to tell human stories, and that should guide you in every decision that you make. Wonderfully said, Dawn. Um, I think it's really important to find people you want to work with. Nobody makes a film by themselves. Um, so, you know, I had the joy of, of having a film at Sundance with Lois um, when we had trapped in 2016 and, you know, now um, is standing by back in, in support of these women um, here, but, um, you know, filmmaking can be very lonely. It can be very stressful and, um, you know, but part of the joy is the relationships that you build in the process. And um, I really enjoy collaborating with people. And um, so I think, you know, reaching out to people for support for questions, but being a, um, a generous collaborator, which is giving as much as you are receiving um, is, is really important. Make films with people you like. Yes, that's the only way you can make them. Because then you can collaborate well together. Lois. Well, I feel like Dawn and I must have had the same thing for breakfast because every time she says something, I'm like, that's what I was just going to say. And then Dawn says it brilliantly, but that was exactly what I was going to say. This is my 32nd consecutive Sundance. And I'm always surprised. We have a lot of films that we submit every year and you never know what's going to get in. And I'm always delighted when our films do get accepted. Um, and I often look and it is because it's a team that was very collaborative, that really was open to feedback, that really brought on great people, that really held true to the principles of the work they were doing, i.e. this authentic voice, making sure their editors, their DPs represented the story they wanted to tell. And so I just can't stress enough how important that is. And it is all about relationships. We all work in a, in a wonderful community that can at times feel lonely. And um, I think I'm always in awe of those directors who pick up a camera and head out and start to film, you know, and they don't even have all their funding. They don't even have any funding. So my my, my uh, thoughts are exactly aligned with Dawn. Be collaborative, think about who you wanna be making films with, but also be very open to getting feedback and to understanding that you, you, you don't have all the answers, you shouldn't have all the answers. But I also really love people who are very strong and, and have a voice and you know stand up for what they want. I, I don't wanna work with shrinking violets. Um, so that would be my my advice as well. And it's never been a better time. And it's also never been more difficult to get funding. So we're kind of we're definitely in the age of Dickens. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. Um, but we need authentic voices and we need more great stories. I agree. Uh, Elaine. I echo everything that everyone on the panel has said. So I will just um, add something that is very much a part of my life. And that is keep learning. There, there, there is endless information out there for people to keep learning. Sundance has something called the CoLab um, that's all virtual that you can pay to attend and, and learn so much from. Um, there's just no excuse not to stay on point because you must be on point when the time comes and when the opportunity is there you must be ready for it. And so there's no reason not to be. And then part of that stay learning is also to create a, a regimen for yourself that you can um, 
really like live by. So like for me, every morning I write for four hours. I'm a part of a virtual writer's room. Four hours I'm writing in the morning if I if I can, if I don't have anything else and then other stuff later. But that is the key to productivity is to um, is to really be dedicated to the craft. And and even though the, the, the writer's room, the virtual writer's room is not something that I must be at, um, I feel guilty whenever I'm not because I'm actually cheating myself. So I encourage everyone to start something like that with a group of individuals next to them with the same uh, interests. Thank you, Tanya. Uh, well, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up a little on on what Lois said uh, in that I think it's important to have good collaborators and and uh, I think someone else said something about reaching out to other people, but but I would say trust yourself because a lot of people are going to tell you what you can't do, what you shouldn't do, what you're not going to do, and you don't, you can't do that, and you don't know, but you know. So, so first and foremost, trust yourself, and then be careful about the people that you do bring on to collaborate. Make sure that they are in sync with, with what you are about, and in trusting yourself, then you know those voices um, will, will be helpful to you. Thank you, Tanya. And Paula? Um, there's not much to say after all this wisdom that was just dropped here. Um, I was, everyone has said everything I was thinking of. Um, but I guess, um, from a woman's perspective, um, it's just get comfortable with unbalance. Like nothing is, is ever balanced. Um, it's not, you're never going to have a work-life balance ever. Um, it's just about, doing what you can do for a certain amount of time and then moving on to the next thing for that amount of time and just doing the best you can in those pockets of time. But it's, you're never going to have it all. It's never going to work like that. And um, just throw that concept away and just focus on the work at the moment. And, and Paula, how many children under the age of 12 do you have? Four. Including oh a baby, an aftershock baby that was born during this process. So, oh my God. She knows of what she speaks. <laughs> oh my God. You are a power woman. I will say that. Very amazing. Well, thank you, everybody, for um, spending some time with us. I know this was very short, but I, I hope we can continue the conversation in any form. Um, congratulations on your films. Again, all of them really just inspired me and, and touched me in many ways. So thank you for spending time with us to everybody who tuned in for more information on upcoming NYWIF programs, please go to nywif.org slash events. Congratulations, everyone. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with NYWIFT members as part of our ongoing NYWIFT Talks series. You can learn more about our programs at nywift.org slash events. And we hope you will continue to listen to the NYWIFT Women Crush Wednesdays podcast. If you're not a subscriber yet, please subscribe. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating. Any ratings and reviews help us reach a wider audience. Thanks again, and we will see you on Wednesday. Continue to keep crushing it.